interesting when we say, Christ is enough for me. Do you ever sometimes think, ooh, should I really be singing these words? I do it all the time, especially in a song that we haven't sang for a while, but it says, if the world can, I don't even can't remember what the song is, but the line says, if the world was, could see me now, they would dance with joy like I'm dancing now. Does anybody remember what that song is? Thanks, Chris. I could sing if you love forever. But every time it comes to that line, I actually stop singing it because I'm not dancing. I'm not a big dancer. I'm not going to dance. And if the world can see me, they'll dance with joy. Well, I'm not dancing with joy now, so I don't sing it. So I just skip that part and go on to the next of it. But Christ is enough for me. Is he really? Is he really? We are starting a series on 1 Peter. And... I have some overheads all prepared for us and it's going to tell you how many chapters are in Peter, which is five, and how many verses there are and what the key words are about and what some of the key verses are so that we could all understand what First Peter is about. And then I went to get the clicker and I found the clicker but couldn't find the little thing to go in it to make it work. And so I thought, oh, I'll just get Michaela to like click when I want to. And then God said to me, don't use your overhead, just Talk to people about what you know about 1 Peter and what you think they need to know about 1 Peter before we start 1 Peter. So that's what we're doing this morning. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to 1 Peter, we're going to look at some verses in there. The, the first thing that's really important to know about Peter is actually who wrote the book. So does anybody want to have a guess? It's a really, really tricky answer. Who do you think wrote First Peter? John. No, John, it's not. Oh, so what does it say? Oh, that, yes, but that's reading the study guide. I thought you were going to tell me that the very first, if you look at First Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it says, let me get my verse, my thing up. And if, God, if I knew I was going to do this, I would have actually like brought a proper Bible and not just my, um, so First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That tells us that Peter is the one who wrote um, 1 Peter. Now, that doesn't always happen. Like 1 Timothy is not written by Timothy. So you can't always assume that the name of the book relates to the person writing. But when it comes to 1 Peter, you can. But if you look further on to chapter 5... Of Peter, if you've got chapter 5 of Peter, turn there and you will find verse 12. So 1 Peter chapter 5 verse, five, verse 12 and I'm reading from the ESV if that's of any interest to people. It says, by Civilis, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. So we actually find that even though these are Peter's words, technically Peter did not write First Peter. So the understanding is that Peter was talking, Civilis wrote it down, and that's how we get First Peter. So people who are really, really technical would say First Peter was not written by Peter because it wasn't actually written by Peter, but 
especially the words of Peter. So, who on earth is Peter? You may remember Peter from other times in the Bible. He was one of the 12 disciples. He was actually one of the inner three of Jesus. So when the transfiguration came, Peter was there. Peter was the person who denied Jesus. So Jesus said, hey, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, never, I'm never going to deny you. And then Jesus is put before the officials. And what happens is he denies him not once, not twice, but three times. Peter is the one that Jesus says, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And that's what's going to happen. And so this is who Peter is. But when First Peter was written, he is a long way away in time from when he was a disciple. So he has started the first church. He's been at Pentecost. He's been at the Jerusalem Council. This is probably towards the end of his life, they think, about 60 AD. Um, but um, Peter is not as... Um, you read in the Gospels, and if you follow Peter's life in the Gospels, you find that he's really a very impulsive guy. So who cut off the ear of the guard at Gethsemane? Peter. Who said, you know, no, no, let it never be. And Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. Peter. <clears throat> so this is a guy who is really good at speaking before thinking. He's really good at just saying what he thinks and then going forward and going, no, that can never be. This must be the way it is. But Peter was also the first person to say, you are the Christ. So he got who Jesus was. But many, many years later, Peter has actually lived a life. And when he gets to first Peter, it's really important to know that this is not just a young, impulsive guy. This is an older guy who has actually been through a lot of things. Now, it's really interesting. Sam earlier today read from Job. Because people say the book of Job and First Peter, very closely aligned. And that is because one of the main themes of the book of First Peter is suffering. If you look at 1 Peter 3.14, it says this. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them or be troubled. But in your hearts, honour Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared to give a defence to anyone who asks for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, that's one of the main themes that Peter talks about. And if we go to 1 Peter 2.20, if you want to go back a chapter, this is what it says. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? So if you've done something wrong and you get punished, you deserve to be punished, like there's a cause and effect. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ has also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And this is verse 23. He committed no sin, 
neither was deceit found in his mouth. Um, but when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. First Peter makes it really clear that if we are a follower of Jesus, we're going to actually suffer. That's a really nice thing to think about. But I'm sure if each of you think about it, you would realise that that's actually your experience. To actually be a follower of Jesus and for that to be an easy, comfortable thing is not anybody's experience. And it was never meant to be anybody's experience. Jesus said in the Gospels time and time again, hey, if they hate me, they're going to hate you too. Why do you think they're be- if they're going to be so mean to me, don't think that you're going to get away from with it. That's why Jesus tells us that if we're going to follow him, what do we need to do? We have to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. You have to leave your mother and brother behind and not look back and follow. And we do a great, great disservice to anybody if we try and tell them, oh, come to Christ, he'll satisfy all your needs and it'll be an easy, comfortable ride. But that's what, throughout history, we've actually seen people do. Throughout history, and I've seen people do this, like, in real life, actually say... Being a Christian is such a great and easy life. You should come to him because he will lift everything off you. Well, he will. But that doesn't mean that we don't suffer. And Peter makes it really clear in First Peter that to actually live a life that is pleasing to God is to actually go against the flow. And if you saw in the weekly newsletter, that's what we're going to call this series, Going Against the Flow. Because that's what you actually need to do as a Christian. If you're just going with the flow and everything's easy and you're just going with the, how the world sees things, the world is not pleasing to God. And Jesus actually tells us time and time again that we need to be of the world but not in the world. I don't know why that's right. Oh, did I say the wrong way around? No, thank you. I'm thinking, I don't know why that's funny. But that's because I'm dyslexic sometimes and can't even say that word and twist it around wrong. Why, thank you. And I'm sure everybody else did too. Um, but that's what the Bible actually tells us. And First Peter tells us again and again and again. It actually says 16 times in First Peter it talks about suffering. But does anybody want to... Oh, I will just tell you. Also, it tells us as many times as it talks about suffering in First Peter, it talks about glory. Because the fact is... So what Peter is saying, he's saying that when you suffer, it is not in vain. When you suffer for righteousness sake, it does not mean that God is not with you. It does not mean that he is not there. It does not mean that you're actually doing the thing that God called you to do. But we can get into that trap, can't we? And we can think, boy, if things are not going right, oh no, God, what am I doing wrong? Because we have this perception that the life that we live has to happen in such a nice, orderly fashion. And when things come to test us and when things come that they're not the way that we see they should be, we go, oh, no, God, you've left me. What have I done? Have I read my Bible long enough? I haven't been to church. I haven't been praying enough. Like, what am I doing wrong? 
Sometimes it's a simple fact that we live in a world that is not completely ruled by our God and Saviour. Revelation tells us all about heaven. And if you read Revelations, it tells us that in heaven there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more pain. There'll be only justice. So that's in heaven. We're not in heaven yet. And God wants us to be a people that bring his kingdom to earth. So we need to be a people that bring hope and grace and justice and life and love and help to relieve pain. But when we're on this earth, we're going to suffer. But we're not suffering in vain. And we're not suffering without a saviour who gets the fact that he was unfairly treated. How, who he is a big justice, like, I can't think of the last of the word, but like if something is unfair and like it's not just, you're like can't help but want to get in there and make it right. Well, you should have been with me last night because I was so unjustly done by. So last night, yes. So last night, Last night, we're having dinner, and I go, oh, let's play a fun game. Let's see who knows math the best. So we'll ask some questions and see between Daniel and Kath, my two kids and myself, who knows math the best, thinking I've got this in the bag. Like, I know math much more than Daniel and Catherine do. So I started asking some questions, and Daniel was sort of in the lead a bit. And then I thought, I want to show how much I know. So I said to Matt, hey, why don't you come up with questions about yourself? And the three of us would answer them, just so I could be part of it, not because they knew that I wanted to say, hey, look at me. <laughs> Catherine was so keen to tell everybody <laughs> that it was Matt's birthday yesterday. But, um, so we're, so we're, having, we're having this dinner, Matt's asking these questions. But what Matt does is he goes, okay, I'm going to ask a question. Tan, you've got to answer first. And so he says, where did I go for my school camp? And I'm thinking, oh, I don't have no idea where he went for his year seven school camp. But I know where he came from. I know where he lived. I know sort of where the area was, Venus Bay, sort of in that area. I'm going to choose Venus Bay. So I choose Venus Bay. And then as soon as I say Venus Bay, Matt starts humming. I'm not a very good hummer, so he did it much better than that. But And I'm thinking, a Christmas, like why on earth is he singing, oh, a Christmas tree? And then Catherine pipes up, Inverloc, Inverloc! And Daniel's like, Inverloc, Inverloc! Because my kids went to Inverloc with my dad and they made up this song called, oh, Inverloc, oh, Inverloc, how we love our Inverloc. And so Matt gave the kids this massive clue that he went to Inverloch for his year seven camp. So if you ever, if it's ever a quiz question, Inverloch is the answer to where Matt went for his year seven camp. But he gave me no chance to know that answer. And so I'm like, okay, I've got this. So then we're like, let's pick topics. We'll pick topics that have to do with Matt, but we'll all choose our own topic. So I pick your wife. <laughs> Thinking... That's going to be a good one. How can he get away with asking a question about me that I'm not going to know the answer to? 
And so the kids are like, oh, Daniel's like, I cannot wait to like beat mum at her own question. I think this is going to be brilliant. Like I so want to win, dad. Come on. So Matt goes, okay, this time we'll get the kids to answer first and Tanya, you can answer last. So the question is, what is a nickname that I call my wife? So Daniel says, grumpy. Catherine says, princess. And I think they're the only two nicknames he calls me. Oh, and Matt goes, and I go, oh, well, grumpy. And he goes, no, 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 you have to give a, a different answer. You can't give the two that have already been given. So I say, okay, Tan. And he goes, no, that's not a nickname. That's just a shortened version of your name. Sorry, you lose the kids win. <laughs> Bad luck. How unjust is that? And so then I go, this is so unfair. This does not make any sense. Um, and the kids thought it was fantastic and it was a great fun and I really didn't care as much as I made out that I cared. But when we've been unjustly treated and when we really have been unjustly treated, we can't stop thinking about it sometimes. It, it consumes us. And we think we need to defend ourselves. We need to like prove to ourselves, like prove to the other people that this is not the correct thing. And if you're a justice freak, not freak is the wrong word, but like if you're someone who justice is something that you really strongly believe in, when you play games and someone cheats in the game, boy, does that annoy you. Or if they don't just like follow the rules, like there's rules to be followed for a reason. We should be following the rules. First Peter has a lot to say about that. And do you know what First Peter tells us? Jesus didn't make a fuss. This is Tanya's version. Jesus didn't make a fuss when he was so unjustly put on the cross. When you were unjustly suffering, look to God and see that for his glory and for his sake, making a fuss is actually not what he wants us to do. There's five chapters in First Peter. We're not going to be doing a chapter a week like we did when we looked at Mark last year. Um, we're going to actually break it up into sort of half a chapter a session. Um, but it's not just all about suffering, but it's actually all about God's glory as well. Because if we understand how great and glorious God is, how amazing he is, how purposeful he is, how awesome his kingdom is, then what happens to us here and now pales into, into insignificance compared to who God is and what he has in store for us. When I was doing some research on First Peter, there's lots of people that want to tell us that First Peter is that book to study now. Because they say, look at the world. Look at all the things that have happened in the world. Look at all the ways that Christians are being um, torn down. And you can, you can see it. The organisation that I used to work for and, and still are involved in um, have stopped. They, what they used to do is they used to go into secondary colleges um, and run lunchtime programs for kids. They'd play a whole lot of games and then they'd do a short two or three minute talk about Jesus and how he can be relevant in your life. They've stopped doing it because schools have said to them, sorry, you can come and play games if you want to, can't talk about Jesus. 
the education department has pretty much said, if you are coming in and one of your aim is to talk about Jesus, can't come. The kids can talk about it among themselves if they want to. They can't stop that. But even at lunchtime in a voluntary program where people can come and go when they want to, can't mention Jesus. You can sometimes feel as a Christian that if I followed any other religion, I would be welcomed with open arms. But as soon as you say that you're a Christian and you follow Jesus, people think that, oh, that's ridiculous. It's a fairy tale. You're a hypocrite. You're so judgmental. And all these things that you may or may not be get put on you and you get shut down just because you follow Jesus. But the thing is, when Peter was writing First Peter, he wrote it to some people who had been exiled, who had scattered along around Asia Minor. Um, and Asia Minor is sort of like Turkey now. And I even got my, my in-laws who've been to Turkey to send me some pictures of where Peter had been in Turkey to show you today. But because we're not using the overheads, you have to just imagine what Turkey might look like in Peter's day. Um, but they were, they were exiled. They'd been scattered. So this isn't a... First Peter isn't written to a person. It's not written to a particular church. It's actually written to a region of people. And the letter would have been passed along around the people that were in that area. But they were not... They were actually those that had been marginalised. They were those that were on the edge. They were not in a community where everybody was like, yes, I'm so pleased. Let's all follow God together. We can all do this. Like... They were pretty much a small group of people who were on their own, living life in that place. And during the time, they're pretty sure that there was this emperor called Nero. Has anybody heard of Nero? Yep, those who've heard of Nero, what do you know about him? Okay, give it to us, think tank, John, uh, Jono. If anybody doesn't know, six o'clock, ABC, think tank, he's not on it yet, but he will be soon. Jono, what do you know about, ne what do you know about Nero? Emperor Nero was the third emperor of the Roman Empire after Tiberius and his successor. He ruled for around 10 years. He's often attributed to starting the fire of Rome. He was one of the first emperors to significantly run state-run persecution of Christians during the Roman Empire and was eventually assassinated by the Praetorian Guard, his own bodyguards, because everyone hated him so much. <laughs> I'm going with what he says. The only bit of all of that that I knew was pretty much where he was and the fact that he persecuted Christians like tremendously. Like, that was one of the aims and his people would say that he actually got such pleasure in persecuting Christians and did it in really, really horrible ways. Um, and so when First Peter was written, people think that Nero was just starting his persecution of Christians. Um, and so Peter is coming along and saying, hey guys, I know you feel like you're on your own, I know that you are suffering, but you're going to suffer. Jesus told you you're going to. This should not be a surprise. But even though you suffer, when you suffer unjustly, God is actually glorified by the way that you respond in that space. And the verses I read it before, when it says, always be prepared to give an answer for anybody who asks the reason for the hope that you have. That's because when we are actually suffering, when things are not going right, but a response is God is still good and he is still in this and I know that there's a plan and a purpose and I'm going to hold on even though I don't like it. That is not normal. That causes people to say, hang on, 
what's going on there? Why is it that this is happening in your life, but you are still living a life of righteousness? You're not, you know, like Job said to his, like all of Job's friends said to him, why aren't you cursing God? Why should I accept good from God and not evil? Who am I to say what God can and cannot do? Who am I to say that God should bless me and do everything that I want to do just because I'm following him? That is not the life that God led. And when Jesus was on earth, he made it really clear that if they hate me, they're going to hate you too. And so Peter picks up that theme and says, hey guys, God's glorious. God has got this. But to think that life is going to be easy? You're kidding yourself. It was never meant to be this way. And so what do you do when you are suffering? What do you do when it's so much easier to just go along with the flow and do what everybody else is doing? What do you do when you're trying to head the other way, but you feel like you're battling upstream because you actually are? That's what First Peter is going to talk to us about. And I'm really excited about it because I really think that it's going to actually help us to know how to stand in the midst of whatever comes our way. And so when things are good, we can say, praise God, things are good. When things are not great, we say, God is still in control and I still praise him because he is still good. That our circumstances don't dictate how we view God. Our circumstances don't dictate even how we think God views us. Because I know I've, I've spent a lot of years thinking, oh, if life is good and things are happening the way that I want them to, then I must be doing the right thing. If things are not going well, well, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to think that. It's ridiculous to think that's a biblical principle because the number of people that walked blamelessly before God and still suffered, you just have to think about Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah was a prophet. He wasn't a bullfrog. Um, <laughs> I know, that's the first thought that I had too, so I thought I'd better just put it out there just to let you all know. Prophet, Jeremiah the prophet, not the bullfrog. Um, he heard from God. Jeremiah said, the word of God burns within me so much that I cannot help but tell you what God is saying. He was a really great prophet. He spoke the word of God. Had no friends for most of his life. Was like put in one of those... What's one of those head things called? Anyhow, he's putting one of those stocks for ages. No one pretty much listened to him. He was put into a pit and he kept on going back again and again and saying, you have to repent. God's going to do this. Like, He listened to God. He obeyed God. But he did not have an easy life. There's so many people in the Bible that we see an easy life and following God do not actually go together. Um, and hopefully that doesn't mean you think, oh, well, let's not just follow God because <laughs> is it easier not to? Because what First Peter will tell us also is that it is still worth it. Let's just turn to the very last bit that Peter tells us in First Peter. So chapter 5, we're going to start in verse... Six. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So already Peter is telling us we're going to be exalted. 
that God cares immensely for us. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversity, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the, great, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he himself, he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And let me read verse 10 again. And after you have suffered a little while... The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God does not leave us. He walks with us. And what we will find in First Peter as we look um, half a chapter a week for the next... I had it in my PowerPoint how many weeks it was. I can't remember off the top of my head. must be 10 because 10 minus... Good mathematicians, people. Um, but for the next 10 weeks um, is that suffering a little bit is worth the glory that comes, not our glory, but his glory. Let me pray. God, we want to thank you that you are a God of immense love and immense mercy and immense grace, God. And Lord, we want to be people that stand firm in you and stand firm in our faith of you, God. But we want to have a true and right representation of who you are, God. And we know that you have told us time and time again that life will not always happen the way that we want it to, God. That there will be suffering. There will be an impact from standing up for the things of yourself, God. But we know, Lord, that your glory and your grace is sufficient for us. We know, Lord God, that you are enough. And we want to be people that say that not just when we sing it, God. We want to be people that know that in our hearts and in our lives that we can testify that you are enough. That we have decided to follow you and there's no turning back. It doesn't matter what is before us because the cross is before us and everything else is behind us, God, because you are enough. And Lord, I pray that we as a church, as we look at First Peter, that we will know in a deeper and more real way, God, what it means to stand firm in the face of whatever, God, that circumstances do not change who you are and circumstances won't change who we know that you to be, God, and who we are in you, Lord. And so I want to thank you, God, that we have the opportunity of taking the words that Peter wrote so long ago um, and look at them and study them and apply them to our lives in the coming weeks. Amen.